This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 369 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, EcoVet, and Kentucky Performance Products. Today, we have two of our favorite return guests, Karen Iceberg from KPB joins us, and Hillary from Dressage Today. And later on, we are going to continue with our Going Through the Levels series with with a judge to talk about fourth level. Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. And a rare occasion, Glenn is joining us. Hey, guys. Hi, Glenn. <laughs> producing for us and yes. doing magic. Well, it's good to be here again. It's been a while since I've been able to stop by. <laughs> I've been kind of busy over here in, at, the, at the studio. Uh, yeah. I got my own shows to do, you know? <laughs> you do. You do. You have <laughs> lots, when you lots join to join us on. and help us. Well, I have a very exciting announcement for the Dressage Radio Show. Yay! Nobody panic. Reese and Philip aren't going anywhere. Reese keeps keeps reminding me that her three months are up. uh, Yeah, my three months are up. The three months is up. Four years, Glenn. Four years. Three months are up. (laughs) But uh, I wanted to mention, you know, you guys only do three weeks out of the month, and Para has been kind of busy this year getting ready for the Olympics, so they haven't been able to do the last week of every month. And we are happy to announce that we are going to have two regular hosts the last week of every month, and it's going to be dedicated to Western dressage. Um, up, and, up and coming. Love it. Oh, it is, yeah. it is the fastest cool. growing discipline out there right now. Um, so cool. It is, it is really growing, and you know, it's getting huge. And, I, and you'll meet the hosts next week, but uh, one comes from the English dressage side, and one comes from the Western show side. So it's going to be interesting. They're, they're, we recorded the first episode already. We did it in person. They just happened to be where I was going to be, and we stopped and recorded it in person. And I think you guys are going to like this show, even if you're not into Western Dressage so much. Uh, just the two, They're going to do a lot of training tips and things like that. Uh, but w- the fact that they each come from different worlds and they're, and they're melding into this Western Dressage pot is kind of what's happening. There's a lot of... English dressage riders going into it. There's a lot of AQHA people and, yeah. and a lot of different horses. Cool. It, you know, the, the, it's not just quarter horses. So right. uh, I'm excited about that. And they'll be on the last week of every month when you guys are off. Love it. That's so cool. cool. Yeah. Well, we'll listen. Perspectives and yeah, different tools that people bring to the, uh, to the table. That's, that's a great idea. Yeah, so I'm excited about that, and uh, and and now we'll have a show every every week instead of having to yeah. do a replay. So, so that'll work out good, and then you guys can still have your week off so you don't quit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, no. very good. No, so Thank we, you, Glenn. We love our week off. It, it gives Phil and I usually it's it's one of us has a horse show or traveling or or something's yeah. going on. Yeah, next week I'm actually out uh, doing some training myself. We're going to Hassler Dressage, so I'm traveling next week with uh, Elin Court. So I'm looking forward to a midsummer kind of tune up and getting ready for the rest of the year. So, so I'm out next week. So it's always fun. So I have lots of driving and I will, I can't wait to tune in myself. 
Sounds good. And, uh, of course, we want to remind everybody about the auditors. We have a terrific group of auditors that hang out in a private auditor page that really, truly is the most active auditor page ever. Our most yes, active private Facebook page ever. I can't keep up. Um, yeah, that thing is grow- has been growing lately. and we have it's like it's almost like it take it, t- it took a mind of its own it's just really yeah. it really a little has. bit of everything on there <laughs> and we have about 130 auditors now and there's a lot of benefits to being an auditor that they get the blooper reels which is mostly recent philip it, uh, is. <laughs> it so is we're, in a, we're not trained in this business okay yeah. they make us sound really hey, good if it were for you two we wouldn't have bloopers so i'm happy exactly um, <laughs> so, so if, if it was if, yeah if it wasn't for miller time there probably wouldn't be too many bloopers <laughs> exactly <laughs> so you can uh, become an auditor for as little as a dollar a month and one of the other nice parts about that is 50 percent of all the auditor dollars gets divided up, up amongst the hosts including recent philip so no, we really appreciate that. that. Yeah, <laughs> we appreciate that. And it's been that. going up, hasn't it? So it's uh, great. It's yeah. fantastic. We love it all the way around. So and one we, other we, thing is the Horse Radio Network website got a complete redo, and it is very mobile friendly now. So if you head over to horseradionetwork.com, dot com, you're going to see that uh, it is completely redone. And I'm um, check that out right I, now. Right? Uh, okay. I like it. Uh, it looks yeah. good, and it's much easier to get around now, especially on mobile. But it's much easier to get around, and we're going to be redoing all the websites for all the different shows, including Dressage Show coming up. So it'll be very mobile-friendly as well. So all of that's happening right now over here at Horse Radio Network. You are a busy guy. Thank you, Glenn. We like all those updates. That's fantastic. Cool. And oh, Phil. Only good news. I was a little worried at first. I know. Yeah, we're like, oh, Glenn has an announcement. This is bad. <laughs> I'm <laughs> retiring. Called the principal's office. Yeah, I love it. I was just afraid that he's actually hired some real radio host to do our show. (laughs) (laughs) There's no real radio Um, host to know anything about dressage. So you're safe, probably. Uh, Probably true. Although Reese keeps reminding me every text I get three months. I was supposed to be here three months. I don't know what that (laughs) means. That's a lie, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Only maybe once a year around our anniversary time. I'm like, yep, still here. (laughs) Still here. (laughs) I love it. I don't think well, we Phil- ever promised Philip anything. We're just like, yeah, no, I no, no, one, no one ever does, you know. It's <laughs> just like, come on, do this, and then, yeah. and then, okay. I was, I'm just Each like, week I'm he just says, like, "Am I still supposed to do the show?" And we're like, "Yep, Thursday night." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> coming, coming. Keep coming. I love it. I hey, become with guy. I just, I just go with the flow. Hey, are you going to do an Olympic update? Well, we are. Yeah, Phil, you've got some, some stuff. I, from yeah, wait, I was just talking about this. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If you're going to do an Olympic update. We have to have official Olympic music. <laughs> uh-huh. True. Go ahead, Philip. Uh, well, I was just looking at, I guess, uh, Rotterdam is one of the final selection sort of trials for the U.S. team. And uh, they were showing today, I believe. And then we just pulled some scores. So it is a... Uh, um, a show in Holland. That's a Rotterdam. The USA is in second place behind the Netherlands. Um, that's okay because the Netherlands are hosting, of course, and they got to win and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but uh, the U.S. is doing quite well. So um, just pulling up the scores here. Laura Graves, I think, was in is in second place after the Grand Prix with a 76.3. Um, that was behind Hans-Peter Minderhout. And then, uh, well, what, uh, we got a bunch of horses here at 76%. So 
And it sounded like uh, Seth Peters also had a 76%. That's fantastic. Yeah, so third is Dietrich von Silfhout from the Netherlands. Fourth, Adelinda Corneliusen and her horse Parseval, which we haven't seen in competition for a long time. He's 19 years old, and I guess he had a great show because he's third place. And right behind that is a Stefan Peters in 76.04. So, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody's it's pretty tight in there. Um, and then the next placed American, 74.5, that's Casey Perry Glass. That horse has been improving a lot, I've mm. heard, and uh, her scores have been improving a lot. And then uh, the fourth place American here is uh, Shelly Francis and Doctor was 70, 70%. So... That, that score they dropped as far as the team competition goes. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm looking here. I mean, the, the Americans still very competitive here in an international field. Um, tight, tight placings, lots of great scores. So we'll, we'll look to see about, you know, when they make their final selections. I don't think there's a date for that, but um, mm-hmm. I think I mean, everybody's just sort of waiting. And, and Phil, tell us what's going on with Canada. So there's some, been some, some what would there was a big show last weekend tell us a little bit about your selection and what's happening well we are selecting riders for two individual placings um basically belinda trussell has her spot secured um she's been getting scores close to the 70 around in around 74 percent or so yeah. in the grand prix and the grand prix specials so uh, i think i can say that uh, belinda can go if she wants and then for the second individual spot, it's really, really been very tight between Megan Lane, Chris Van Martels, and Karen Pavicic. So uh, we had a big show here, and um, that's the last North American show that they were able to qualify for scores in. But I think, if not two, at least I saw today on Facebook that Karen Pavicic is going to Europe. The 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 time that you can still get scores is until mid-July, I believe. So I think I think this, this competition is going right down to the wire as to who is... I, I, I believe that they're all between, you know, um, you know, within 1% of each other, you know. So one score can put somebody up above another person for that final individual spot. So and I, I think, think good luck to, to all the riders. The, I think they have to have the teams nailed down by the 17th and submitted of July. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah, so... So if you can get if you can get another score in there before before that time, and and uh, that that will be this deciding factor about who gets to go. So it's interesting. See what happens. Very interesting. It is very interesting. Well, you know, I I, I wish everyone's dreams to come true. You know what I mean? So it's hard. It's, yeah, it's, it's hard. Tough. For us you know, I know a lot of those writers. Yeah, and you're like, oh, two spots. It's so tough. So. Yeah, not a good all deal. Deserve it. I mean, all of them have been working really hard the last six months, getting scores and you yeah. know, just showing a lot. You know, you feel feel for the horses a little bit because um, when it's that tight, you know, you don't have a clear one of them. You know, then then they got to continue to uh, to try and get those scores and be the one who goes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we wish everybody luck and fingers and toes crossed for the U.S. team that they continue doing what they need to do. And it's all very good. So, uh, yeah, and fingers crossed for the Canadians. So it'll be interesting to see in the next couple weeks what goes down. It's getting to be close. So Glenn's got the music cued. So it's time and really <laughs> good. So. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, fantastic. Well, right after this commercial break, we're coming back with Hillary Moore Hebert, contributing um, editor to Dressage Today. And uh, we're looking forward to that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if your horse could enjoy a zone of repellency from pesky flies? Well, he can with EcoVet. EcoVet is an entirely new type of fly repellent that is safe for horses and those applying it, offering a real alternative to toxic pesticides like pyrethrins. EcoVet confuses an insect's normal directional ability, the bug's GPS, if you will. So if it can't locate your horse, it can't bite your horse. Dr. Wendy Ying from the Driving Radio Show has been using it in South Florida, also known as the Jurassic Park of biting insects, and she just loves it. EcoVet's active ingredients are naturally occurring food-grade fatty acids that have been clinically shown to improve the condition of horses with difficult-to-treat sweet itch problems. EcoVet is effective on mosquitoes, ticks, noceums, as well as flies. You can visit EcoVet online at eco-vet.com for more information or to order. You can find EcoVet at Dover Saddlery Stores and EcoVets on Facebook. Just search EcoVet, E-C-O-V-E-T. Well, tonight for our favorite segment of the month, we have Hillary Moore Hebert, contributing editor of Dressage Today on... Welcome, Hillary. Hi, guys. How are you this month? I am doing very well. How are you guys? Awesome. <laughs> tell We're, the truth, Hillary. Yeah, You're tell the truth. Like We're just feeling, fair. You guys are always... You girls are always just so super chipper and... Da, da, da. Oh, I feel so great. But when we talk a little off air... Then the gripes come out, and I feel bad because I always talk about it on air. Like, oh, I'm freaking tired because I've been in a horse show every weekend for like four or six weeks in a row, and my legs hurt and my back hurts, and and you guys just oh, we're, 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 we're fine. <laughs> That's the okay. Well, to make you feel better about that, there's always, you know, I think I've talked about this in previous segments. There's always a group of us who like to do our like morning ride. You know, you don't want to do your typical 45 minute warm up right before the test. You want to yeah. work the horse and then yeah. so they're fresh, you put them away and then come back and get on just to sort of check in. Um, everybody who's there, it's always Adrian Alvord and Julio Mendoza have always been there when I'm there. And, um, you know, they're both professional riders in my region. And the two of them are like the happiest people in the world. And meanwhile, I am the grumpiest morning person and they're like <laughs> smiling, saying hi to the show manager. And it makes me more angry <laughs> because <laughs> I don't feel like that. And they're like singing as they're trotting around. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> like, why are my eyes crusted shut and what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good. Because, I, I, yeah, I'm not a morning person for sure. And yeah. And I have to do a lot of early mornings in the summer. In the winter, yeah. I get to sleep in a lot more, you know. So what? Let's be real, Phil. You sleep in a, a lot. I'm just <laughs> saying it. I'm like, I'll text Phil and I don't get an answer to like 930 and I've ridden two horses. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> I, uh, that's that's the difference between living in the barn. My horses would not and be not, okay. With not, I don't have to do feed. Nobody kicks at my door. Yeah, <laughs> but I've set that up. You know, I've that's lived my days in the barn. Yes, 
soon. Well, and also how we were talking about before we started recording that Phil has an ice cream truck swing by his house. Yeah, I was just like, oh, and the ice cream truck's coming by. And I are, like, living in the manure pile in the backyard. Yeah, I'm like, really, but <laughs> that's, that's the story, and I'm sticking to it. Where have I failed in my life? I want an ice cream truck again. <laughs> I was like, guys, guys, I got we got to get this interview done. The ice cream truck's coming. The ice cream truck's coming. I was like, what? Oh, goodness. Meanwhile, like, I'm eating sweet feed in the, the barn because I'm yeah. hungry. You know you've done it before. <laughs> oh, I like sweet feed. <laughs> the only source of sugar. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, Hillary, we've got some great topics this month. What are our first couple topics? Okay, so a lot of this is related to what's happening to me because, like Phil, Philip, I'm um, going to a horse show all the time, and um, I just got one of my videos back from a horse that I'm riding, uh, who's a new horse um, that I just did the I1 with. Um, uh, her name is Chantal Rocks, and she is 152, I believe. Um, you know, when she is shod, so she is a smaller mm. horse. Um, and it's definitely interesting to watch the video because as some of the listeners and you guys know, the horse that I was showing before um, I had the baby, uh, why not? He was 17-1, I think. Um, so it's definitely a different picture and approach when I'm doing test riding and, um, you know, just training at home for many reasons. Uh, and where it's something that first was something I noticed was, I watched the video of her going in the canter down center line and from A to X, I counted it's 14 strides to um, the first halt, which means that she's covering the whole center line in about 28 strides, which means the diagonal is probably more than that. So say it's, you know, 32 or something. Yeah, around the so that makes yeah. for many more strides uh, when you do, for example, the tempi changes. Um, and certainly many more strides when you're doing the extended canter. Um, what comes to mind, I think a long time ago, I heard Heather Blitz say that Paragon can cover the long side in six strides. And meanwhile, I'm pushing, you know, a solid 24 with her. So, you know, you just, you have to approach things differently. It makes it so that certain things are harder and certain things are easier. But I wanted to talk about that today because in the example of that, it makes it so that for someone who has fewer strides to cover ground, you better get your half halt done before the corner because otherwise you are going to be very quickly across the arena versus on a smaller horse who you are going to have an easier time getting her, um, you know, to be half halted because you have 24 strides to do it. Um, but, you know, in her case, you have to be paying more attention to ground cover and the Expression, you know, in order to have the same quality of, you know, what you're, you're showing off to the judge. No, it makes total sense. And so what are some things like, what, what are some things you think are easier versus harder riding a smaller okay. horse? So easier, the canter zigzag yeah. is like surprisingly easy. When I had a big horse, especially one that's not laterally flexible, um, trying to get them to go down center line and turn, get into the first half pass, make it to the quarter line change, make it to the other quarter line change and get back to center line for the change. That is a, 
a lot to fit in for a horse. Like, you know, obviously I'm not doing the numbers exactly the same, but think you can get on the long side in six strides. That's a lot of things to be doing for a horse that covers that long side in that few strides. When you ride a horse like Chantal to do that, who covers the, the center line in 24, I can handily get several strides in, in the half pass before the quarter line. Um, you know, just turning her up center line already, I'm not as far down the center line because of her length. Um, so everything this generally then is easier. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, for sure. I like the, I like the smaller horses for um, their ability to collect. I mean, just just collecting the horse is easier when the horse is shorter from from yes. pole to croup, right? I mean, you can get yes. that feeling of collection super easy, and the look of collection super yes. easy, you know. Yeah. Um, rather than on on those big horses, and um, you know, naturally, I think when the horses are a little bit smaller, they have shorter, quicker strides. So then, you know, the, the collection is a little bit more natural. With the taller horses and their big, long, like it takes them a long time to sort of put their, you know, put their, um, to get, you know, when you're t- thinking about canter rhythm especially, it's, you know, to get the the three beats, right? They always tend to, tend to come, you know, da-da-don't like this, right? And then to get it shorter and quicker, they're just not naturally, it's not naturally easy to do unless you've got like one of these superstar, you know, awesome FEI horses. But to, to even just, you know, approach the subject of get that canter a little quicker and get it more on the spot is difficult. And then, like you say, when you have to do a move, especially the the zigzag and the canter, is like, oh, I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this. But I've got to do it all in two strides, you know, like to really just kind of figure it out. It's just like so hard. And everybody wants these big, giant horses, you know, because they're expressive and they have, you know, these naturally beautiful gates. But if if you if you want to ride a really good St. George or I one, you know, for your first time through, ride it on a small horse because the ring just seems like so yep. big, right? Like you have so much time to do stuff, and and then maybe you approach it on a on a big horse. I think I think that that's an awesome way to to learn and and when you develop those small horses, they definitely have some great things that you know going into it you don't even realize, and when you're riding it you don't even realize, but. When you ride it on a different horse, it becomes a whole different ball game. So, I think that's cool. Well, and I, I think when you have a horse that has a tendency to collect like that too, it's really good for people new to the FBI because when you're all panicked and zipping around movement to movement, I think the first thing to go for the rider is the attention to the collection. And so, you see a lot of people on bigger horses or schoolmasters that it looks a little sort of second levelly in the balance. Um, and they're getting the movement done because you can, but I totally agree with you. I think a horse that tends to be compressible, um, is easier to do that. And also you have more time to kind of get your act together to the next movement versus like, oh my gosh, I've never done a half pirouette to a half pirouette to the tempties. And suddenly I have like three strides to think about the next thing. And that is coming up very fast. Yeah. I mean, it's it's always... Yeah, it's always the higher levels you go, the less time you have to do anything to, to even adjust the horse or to make a half halt. It's like, oh, it's just all coming at me. And, it's, uh, and then you end up running through it a little bit, you know? Yeah. So, so that's cool. So, what, so lo- what lots I think of love makes... to the smaller horses. Yeah, you know? right? 
what I think, though, makes it hard, and these are the two things that I always really try to work on. The first is the Tempe's, it's a leap of faith, because to have it centered over center line, I have to start my Tempe's after the quarter line, which is kind of freaky because you're thinking, wow, like here I've just lost a quarter of the diagonal and I haven't even started these things. How is it that I can be getting in this many changes and have them done by the, the next quarter line? So again, you know, a horse with 32 strides can do that. Um, you know, and I have scored very well on the Tempe's, but again, it is very, you know, it's hard to sort of accept that you're waiting that long for them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's a good point. It's nice to have extra time, but then a little too much time is, is makes you a little worried (laughs) about it. And then the other thing that I find difficult, um, surprisingly is because of their desire to collect the pirouettes actually can actually get a little bit too small. So I like to try to sort of picture, okay, am I going to do the pirouette in eight strides? And if I do it in eight strides, I need to be covering, you know, so much distance each time you have a small horse. That's a big stretch. And you think about, like, I think about um, much ado, the horse that Carol Lavelle was riding. Yes. Um, and some of those big, big horses that can sit and, oh my gosh, the expression they have in the pirouettes because they're so big those front legs come up and it's just like a war horse. When you're on a smaller horse that wants to collect, everything can get a little bit small and you feel like at any moment you could almost fall into, you know, the trough because it, it gets very collected. So sometimes the collecting movements can work against you, um, you know, versus like if you do the half pass, you're riding more forward, the pirouette, you can almost get too stuck and then it becomes a mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good that makes point. And Hillary, I just have a question generally, and, and Phil, you too. With the smaller horses, have you had a better luck with soundness? Any any thoughts on that? Because, you know, I've had some really big guys that have been super hard on themselves. So I didn't know if you guys had any, any thoughts on that. I, I think, you know, um, when I think about these, you know, big horse, small horse, I think that the confirmation of the total horse has to match it, right? So you mm-hmm. can't have a big horse with small feet because I think that leads to unsoundness, um, you know, or, or a very tall horse without any bone, you know, to their legs. You know, I, I don't like that type of horse with a giant body. So I, I think if the, if the horse is um, big, he must have, he has to be big overall, like with all the features, right? And if a horse is, and, and generally if the horse is small, again, the same thing. You think, okay, their feet should be smaller, but it should be all sort of proportional. I like to see a horse proportional so that, you know, with a small horse, that uh, a photo without anything to tell its size, you know, without a rider or whatever, looks like a big horse, right? That you can't really say, oh, that's a, that's a, that's a pony, that's a small horse. I like to see, you know, everything that, that has the horse proportions, and I think then you don't have any any real issue. I haven't had any real issues either way. You know, lots of bigger horses have gone long in their careers and lots of small horses break down because they didn't have good feet or they didn't, you know, their legs weren't put on straight. Yeah. So. Yeah. I like how, what you said about proportion, because I can't, I know what you're, I think you're asking where you see like the bigger horses and you think, uh, that, that horse is going to get arthritis and be like really worn out. 
sooner rather than later because it's 18 hands. Um, I think what my experience is, what you were just saying with the proportion that if most of the problems I've had is if a horse is very long in the back, I have had a lot of issues with that. Um, For a horse that generally looks like it has an issue traveling correctly behind, then I notice it catches up with them. You know, you have like the jumpers bump, the straighten hawk on and on. They end up with issues with the hind leg that have to be managed. And then the horses with the longer back, I've had some issues where just because of gravity, they've ended up having some, you know, stress points. So to lift up their back, gets hard. And so they either have back weakness or they start to get kissing spine or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, Hillary, that is really, we're super excited for you. Another FEI horse. I always get, it. it's exciting for people to have. So tell us, uh, you guys just had a clinic at your barn, right? Yeah, we had um, Shannon Duick came uh, to help us get ready for the show this weekend. Um, she is based in Florida and one of the Canadian riders for um, everyone listening. Um, and she's fantastic. Uh, I've actually known her casually off and on for quite a while um, because I have, um, you know, she was up in Rhode Island when I was up in New England. Uh, and she had a horse, Corona, at the time that I think she did the Pan Ams with for the Canadian yeah. team. Yeah, that's a, yeah, back that's in a Pan Am horse, Corona. Is that right? Yeah, yeah I think um, that's right. Absolutely. And then, uh, you know, since then, she's just been on the map with several horses. Um, So I keep running into her. And I did actually an article that won an award down at AHP. It was a two-part series on preparing and perfecting the canter pirouette um, with a horse. uh, And I did an article with her. um, And it was sort of themed around breast cancer for a special breast cancer issue that we did. Um, and that was one of the first articles that I did when I started working for the magazine. Um, so I really liked working with her. I like how she explains things. Um, so I had her come up, uh, to help us and it was very, very helpful. And actually, um, the one tip that I think is good for everyone at every level that she really got after me about, um, is I'm going to explain it very simply is just inside leg to outside rein. Um, I, with a smaller horse, you know, she's shorter in the back. I have difficulty getting her supple in the canter. So she really worked on me, you know, in the, the trot, for example, pushing her off the inside leg or the outside leg away from that. So that as she moved sideways, she started to swing her back. Mm. Um, and so it was more related to the warm up, and then the movements just then became easier because she was more honestly connected. Um, and it's surprising when you get into the upper level training, you can kind of forget to do some of the things that you're teaching your students to do every day. Um, and I was sort of saying, okay, the mare needs to be a little bit more activated behind. So we do, you know, outside leg a little bit, maybe a little half pass or haunches in, and then, um, you know, everything's great. And then you say, okay, well, what are you doing? to get her off the inside leg. Um, so we did essentially like spiral out from the inside leg on the circle, um, leg yield, push her out from the inside leg to the track. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's something that it seems very basic, but was really, really helpful. 
Well, it does sound basic, but it is, you know, it, it's not because we all forget it, <laughs> you know, and also it's like, oh, you know, yes, I forgot, you know, or, and, and that's why we do clinics, right? And so somebody can tell you, oh, hey, what are you doing? Or why aren't you riding into those corners or, you know, what, whatever it may be. Uh, just bringing, bringing, refreshing an exercise that, you know, that you've sort of forgotten about or, or you think, oh, I forgot that this could, could really help this horse. I constantly... You know, um, I get ideas from this show, from the magazines, from, you know, wherever. And I say, oh, I should try that again, you know. And then I go, I bring it as, yeah, I haven't done this exercise in a while. Let's give it a go. And then it's, all of a sudden it helps something else I've totally been working on. But, but uh, yeah, I think we kind of can get stuck in a little bit of a routine and thinking, okay, I'm just plugging away at this problem. And that you need a little outside freshness to say, oh, you know. Let's go back to this. Let's go back to this. It's all about basics, right? Um, let's go back to this basic, try this exercise, and then boom, it was like, oh, that really helped that. And they go back to the problem I was having before, and it doesn't exist anymore. So I think that's awesome to be, you know, using this time to show, but also to have, you know, maybe have a clinic, get some fresh eyes, and, and you, never know, uh, you never know what can happen. Well, I think, you know, what's nice about it is I talk about this a lot at home. I ha I'm a firm believer that in everything in dressage is like a pendulum, right? We have the collected trot. We go to extended trot on the opposite side. And I think that everything has that opposite side to it. And I think what's good about clinics is I think it's the best way to address the opposite side. For example... If you're working a lot on straightness, shoulder control, outside rein, you're doing the right thing, but it's good to have someone come from the outside who says, wow, you kind of mastered that now. Pause for a second. What is the counterpoint to that? Is the horse also bendable? Is the horse off your inside leg? Maybe you need to back off hyper-focusing on, you know, riding shoulder forward, being obsessed about the control of the shoulder and make your horse a little bit more bendable as opposed to straight. And so I think, you know, or you have a horse that you're riding really forward because they were sticky, the clinician can come in and say, okay, you've had that under control. Now your horse is a little bit too quick. Let's bring them back in terms of the speed now. So I think that to me is my favorite part of clinics is it's a way to check in as a baseline and say, okay, as you train, have you succeeded in your goal and do you now need to be kind of checked in the other direction? Yeah. yeah really good point. Really, yeah, like really that. good point. Clinics or, or even just eyes on the ground, you know, having yeah, some, somebody come in, lessons. I mean, that, that's what you're doing because it is so easy when you're in the ring by yourself. You're like, oh, I'm, I am mastering this. And it's like, oh, oops, <laughs> I went the other I way. about that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, no, I think that's fantastic. Well, and that's good to know that, you know, again, a, a lot of times these clinics, they go back to the basics. How are your basics? What's going on? So it sounds like you guys worked on that. Yes. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, Hillary, thanks so much this week, this month for your uh, monthly uh, coming on the show. And how can our listeners find you online and find more information out? They can check us out at dressagetoday.com as well as on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and YouTube. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much. Talk to you next month. Okay. Bye, guys. 
Well, as always, we love Hillary coming on the show. And um, our next interview is with Karen Isberg from Kentucky Performance Products. And she's going to talk about what to do with your horse in the heat. Well, today I am super happy to have Karen Isberg, President Extraordinaire of Kentucky Performance Products, on for our tip of the month. Karen, how are you tonight? I'm fine. I'm looking out at some rainy skies, but otherwise doing pretty well here in Kentucky. <laughs> you and me both. We're uh, we're both sitting. I, it's right over top of us. So uh, <laughs> if I zoom to the, you know, bathroom or something, you'll know what's going on, everybody. <laughs> There's a tornado watch around, but that's okay. We love it, but it it kind of fits into our tip of the of the month, which is sort of riding in hot weather. Because it has been hot here, and we know Jamie, the co-host of the morning show, it's been 120 in Arizona. So start us off, like, what do you do when it's this hot? Well, I think one of the first things you have to remember is that, you know, your horse's natural radiator is a combination of his skin and sweat. So if a horse can't, if a horse stops sweating, or if a horse can't sweat, or if they can't use their sweat effectively then they have a real problem cooling themselves off. So you want to watch, um, not only do you want to pay attention to the temperature, the air temperature, but you also want to pay really close attention to the humidity in the humidity levels in the air. Um, once the humidity reaches 75%, that greatly reduces your ability to cool himself with his sweat because the sweat just doesn't evaporate any longer. So you definitely want to look not only at the temperature, but also at the humidity. That's so, a- Reese, and, and you guys in Kentucky, is there a, sort of a cutoff temperature? Um, you know, what's, we don't really have too much of a problem here, so I'm not that worried well, about it. Well, there is. Um, what you can do is, you you know, you get on your little, wet, your little um, phone app, and you look at the weather, and you look at what the temperature is, and then it will also tell you what the humidity is, and you add those two numbers together. And if that number is over 180 then you really just don't want to ride. You want to you want to park your horse in the shade. You want to give him a bath. You want to go sit in the pool because at that yeah. point it's considered dangerous to ride. That's uh, we'll we'll really clarify that that's Fahrenheit, right? Oh yeah, yeah for you, Philip. <laughs> yeah, <so>. Good point. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for your yes. international listeners, that's Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so if it's 180 with a yeah. combined well, Celsius, well, with, it, like, it, well, it's 180 is the number when you combine your humidity, your percent humidity with your um, temperature in Fahrenheit. Yeah, so you're, you're combining a percent and a Fahrenheit. So it's not 180 degrees. It's the combination of percent right. humidity and temperature in Fahrenheit. Yeah, and I think you just have to be reasonable. You know, today, I bet you, Karen, today in Kentucky, it was close. Uh, I think it was 92 or 93 and it was really humid. So I bet you we got close today here. And I mean, I think from a riding training standpoint, I mean, we have the indoor so we are able to get the sun. And that's the other thing. Sometimes if it's really sunny, it's so bloody hot. Um, you know, and we have the fans in the indoor. So, you know, but we're, I'm, I'm just careful. It's kind of like, Philip, what you would do in extreme cold. You know, it's, it's the same thing. You know, it's like, is this productive to work for an right. hour? You know, probably yeah, not. Yeah. The horses are soaking wet and blowing hard after 20, 30 well, minutes. And the people, I mean, it's, it's quite it's easy people, to get, yeah. to get uh, heat stroke or heat exhaustion, you know, to where 
you know, you just are not doing anything effectively, like you said. No, it's true. Yeah. So, and, so what are, Karen, what are some signs of heat stroke in horses? I, well, I actually Yeah, well, know. that's a great thing to bring up. So the best thing for you to do is there's kind of two phases to telling whether or not your horse has heat stroke. The first thing you want to know is you want to know his normal vital signs. And every horseman should know their horse's normal vital signs anyway. And obviously you want to take them under normal conditions. So when they're not too hot or they're not too cold or they're not feeling sick. And a horse's normal vitals, the temperature should be between 99 degrees Fahrenheit and 100.5 degrees Fahrenheit. That's rectal temperature. His heart rate should be between 36 to 44 beats per minute. And his respiration rate should be between 8 and 16 breaths per minute. So horses will vary, but you should take that a couple of days in a row and come up with your horse's normal vitals. Now, the signs of heat stroke are a rectal temperature of 103 or above. Ooh. And if any, you know, you guys have had horses, you know, if you take a horse's temperature and it's 103, that horse is feeling pretty poorly. Yeah, you got um, a problem. Heart rate, you do. Yeah. yeah. The heart rate will be over 80 beats per minute and it will not decrease after rest. And that's the key. Lots of times you'll get your horse's heart rate up when you're working in, but it should come down after a reasonable period of time. If it doesn't, then that's a problem. Also, respiration rate um, will be over 40 to 50 breaths per minute, and that does not come down after a reasonable period of rest. Also, some horses will either stop sweating completely or they'll sweat a lot, but they'll also be very lethargic, and sometimes they won't want to drink anymore. So those are the signs. If you see those signs, then you need to get your horse help pretty quickly. So Karen, you know, also some ways to prevent, obviously, is to give some electrolytes, right? How, what's the best way to give electrolytes? Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, a couple of things you can do, like if you think your horse has heat stroke or is getting too hot, stop riding, unpack, move to a shady spot or a breezy spot. And if you, you know, if you have a fan, put the fan on the horse, horse, um, hose your horse with cold water, as cold as you can get, keep hosing them and scraping them and hosing them and scraping them. It's kind of an old wives tale that you can hurt your horse by putting cold water on hot muscles. That's just not true. And then offer your horse water and let them drink as much as they will. And that's where the electrolytes come in. So uh, the best way to feed electrolytes is prophylactically. In other words, feed them in advance um, of having a problem. And that keeps your horse drinking and keeps your horse replenishing the electrolytes that he loses. So how does a horse lose electrolytes? They lose electrolytes in sweat. And so you know that your horse is using a lot of sweat to cool themselves off. Then you need to make sure that they're getting plenty of electrolytes. Karen, can we talk a little bit about what electrolytes actually are so that you know what is what is the function of them in the body and and how does it all work sure well what they do what electrolytes do is basically they regulate the water balance in the body so as long as you have the proper number of electrolytes in the light in the right ratios then body will maintain its water balance properly and they also play a role in muscle activity so if you don't have the proper number of electrolytes or you don't have them in the right ratios, then the muscles will stop working. Um, they'll just stop contracting properly. So <clears throat> what, what electrolytes are are just minerals, potassium, sodium, and chloride, which is salt, calcium, magnesium, and also there's some trace minerals that play a role in proper 
um, water balance and muscle function, and that would be copper, zinc, iron, magnesium. So when you look for an electrolyte, you want to find an electrolyte that has a 1 to 2 to 4 ratio of potassium, sodium, and chloride. So that's okay, say, the main thing. Yes, yeah, say that to. one more time so that when you, you, you know, people are going to the store because there's a lot of electrolytes. And, Absolutely. you know, obviously, Kentucky Performance Products has the Summer Games electrolytes, and that is a, a very good product. Um, but how does one know? Like, you know, how do you know? Well, you have to look at, you, you have to read the ingredients and look at the guaranteed analysis. You want something that has a low sugar content. It's okay to have a little sugar in an electrolyte. It, it, it um, helps with palatability. It, it, it lets, you know, it'll make it more attractive for the horse to eat. But if the first ingredient on the label is sugar, then that's not really going to help your horse. So what you're looking for are these, these um, minerals, potassium, and then sodium chloride, and sometimes that'll be listed as just salt. Uh, and then again, calcium and magnesium. So you want to look at the back of the of your label, and you want to make sure those um, minerals are in there. And then you want to have a you want to have a ratio of one part potassium to two parts sodium to four parts chloride. And that's the ratio that that is found in equine sweat. So if you are losing your minerals in those ratios, you want to replace them in those ratios. That's the idea. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. can, no, can, is it, sorry, no. sorry, is it possible no. to overdose on, like, I mean, if you decide, like, oh, it's really hot out today, I'm going to just start dumping a bunch of electrolytes into his feet and he's going to keep eating it. I mean, I, that can't be a good thing, can it? It's pretty hard to overdose a horse on electrolytes. Okay. For one thing, horses actually have some nutritional sense for salt. Um, and, and one of the ways that you can limit intake is by putting a lot of salt on the feed. They'll just stop eating it. Um, oh. so it, it's pretty hard to overdose salt. Um, most of the, the electrolytes, um, if they don't utilize them in the body, they're collected in the urine and they just pee them away. Now, one time that you have to be very careful not to overfeed electrolytes is if your horse can't drink or won't drink. In that situation, if you feed a bunch of electrolytes, and the horse can't drink water along with it, it'll have the opposite effect and cause a lot of trouble. So if you have a horse that's not drinking, you definitely want to get in touch with your veterinarian first. And at that point, the best way to administer electrolytes to the horse would be with a veterinarian's care and a horse that's being properly hydrated, either with IV fluids or with water pumped into a stomach, something like that. So that would be a point in time when you have to be very careful. And how about Karen, you know, I, I have two questions. One is sort of what's the best way to administer them? Is it in the feed or is it in the water? We always recommend that you just put electrolytes on the feed. Um, a lot of people like to put them. I mean, there are some people that like to put them in the water. The problem there is that some of them, I mean, some of the minerals are just rock and they don't dissolve very well. So they'll mm. fall to the bottom and your horse won't get it. Another problem with putting them in the water is you're really not sure how much they get. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, say they only drink a half a bucket. Well, unless you're stirring that bucket all the time, you don't know how much they're getting. So we recommend that you just put them on the feed and that you have lots of um, fresh water available for that horse to drink. You know, a horse that's been sweating all day long can drink up to 20 gallons, up up to and even more than 20 gallons of water a day. That's four five-gallon buckets. That's a lot of yeah, that's water. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a lot of water. A lot of water. And, and what about the paste electrolytes? Like, how do you know when to use that versus on the feed electrolytes? 
Well, I think you would use a paste if you're in a situation like a lot of the endurance riders use a paste. Um, if you're in a situation where you, you want to make sure that that horse gets a certain dose, um, then you would use the paste. It's, it's more convenient sometimes when you're traveling. And um, Kentucky Performance Products electrolyte pastes have NALOX in them, which is a stomach buffer, um, which also helps to um, reduce the stress in a horse that's being stressed, that's being ridden hard or, or is having to take a lot of electrolytes. So that would be a good time to utilize that product. That's awesome. I actually didn't know that, Karen. So I'm so glad because that's what we do when we travel is we give everybody a you know, a tube of paste. And so it works out really well. And like you said, it's really convenient and it's really easy to do that. So, right. yeah. And if you're confused kind of about how much to give, like if you go to kppusa.com and you go to the Summer Games page, we actually have a chart that um, tells you how much a horse would need given the amount of work they're doing. And then we actually have guidelines that will help you determine workload. So it tells you kind of like how much sweat for how long. And then that, so if you're confused about how much you need to feed, that's really helpful if you're feeding summer games to go to the website and look at that information. Fantastic. And your website is great. And Karen is super easy to talk to everyone and great about answering questions. So if you have any questions, Karen, how would somebody um, find you online and ask some questions and or your team? Well, they can, they can call us um, anytime. We're open um, from eight to five, five days a week. And they can call us at our 1-800 number, um, which is 800-772-1988 if they have questions. They can go to our Facebook page and send us questions because that's monitored all the time. There's um, a place on our website, kppusa.com, where you can go ahead and submit questions if you have them. So there's lots of different ways to get in touch with us. Fantastic. Well, Karen, thanks so much for all your tips today for how to ride when it's so hot. And we hope everyone has a great show season the rest of the summer. And Karen, you as well. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. It's good to talk to you guys, Philip and Reese. It's always good to see you. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. Well, we are very excited this evening for our Total Saddle Fit Tip of the Week to have Donna Richardson. She is a USEFS judge and was a member of the 1999 Pan American Games. Donna, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it was so fun. You were here this week here at the farm in Kentucky, and we met and I grabbed you for this segment. So I really appreciate you coming on. No problem. So tonight we're going to talk about fourth level from the judge's perspective. And Phil, you've got the purpose, right? Yeah, I got the purpose here. Uh, the purpose of fourth level is to confirm that the horse demonstrates correct basics and has developed sufficient suppleness, impulsion, and throughness to perform the fourth level tests, which have a medium degree of difficulty. The horse remains reliably on the bit, showing a clear uphill balance and lightness as a result of improved engagement and collection. The movements are performed with greater straightness, energy, and cadence than at third level. Fantastic. So, yeah, I think that's pretty straightforward. We've talked fourth about some level. of the definitions of, the, of these things 
um, you know, leading up to fourth level. And I guess it's just fourth level is everything and more. <laughs> <laughs> fourth level is a very large level to me. <clears throat> a, a competent third level horse can find his way through fourth level test one with a fair degree of success. That same horse is really good at struggle to get through fourth level three which is a vastly different and more difficult test than fourth level one. Fourth level three really does prepare you for pre-Saint-George. If you can get a good score in that, you are completely able to fail into pre-Saint-George and expect good success. Yeah, and Donna, so let's talk about that. So let's talk about sort of what are the requirements at fourth level test one. Let's start there because it is a very, it's a huge level. So what kind of happens at fourth level test one? Well, for the very first time, you get to canter down the center line. You'll be judged on straightness. And I think, to me, the meat of fourth level test one is that few steps of very collected canter that you have to demonstrate. To be successful in the canter hall, you have to be able to come down center line and downshift. Put your horse into that very collected canter. So he's almost begging you, please, can I stop? So instead of pulling him into the hall, you simply cease your four driving aids, and the horse lands like he's landing on a pedal. That's what we like to see. We don't see it all that often, but when we do, you get rewarded with the higher scores. Uh, the other thing that we're looking for is that very collected canter on the 20-meter circle. You only have to show it in one direction, but for heaven's sake, please work it to the right as well, because you're going to have to do it in fourth-level test, too. Uh, and there we want to see not that the horse slows down, but that they keep the same tempo, but with a shorter stride. And that if you watch them from the side, you can actually see the haunches lower a little bit when it's done well. When it's not done well, the horse just slows down, they get crooked. There's lots of things that can happen, but that's the meat of this test. If you can do that, you're going to do very well with all the other things, which are really basically single changes. You get to do three of them across the diagonal, but you don't have to count, so you can wait until your horse feels straight and balanced. And if you can get them on the quarter line, the center line, and the other quarter line, great. But that's not really the issue that we're looking for. We're looking for a horse that's balanced and stays straight and does clean changes without drama. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> that, a good way to put it. Is that what you see most of the time? The problem in those three changes is some, some form of drama across the diagonal? Um, they they get a little bit excited after the first change, and then if the rider is unable to balance the horse back, the second change can be hollow, crooked, or they can just get so strong that the rider can't get the third change. But presumably you won't be doing this test until your single changes are very well confirmed. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you don't want to go into fourth level. You're, the, the judges will not be kind if your changes are not good at fourth level. <laughs> They have to be reliable and clean and straight. Expressive would be nice, but it's not necessary. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, so what about fourth level test two? This is going to be a big jump now to fourth level test two. Yep, fourth level test two. Now you have the dreaded swing. This used to be in the Grand Prix, and it has raised its ugly head again in fourth level test two. This is a movement where the horse from the trot or the canter halts, backs up a certain number of steps, and then without halting, proceeds forward again 
only to be captured and stepped back again. What we see many times is a halt, the horse steps back four steps, he stops, and then he goes forward, and he stops again, and then he backs up and lurches forward somehow into uh, a trot or a canter. Um, what you really want to see is that the horse actually stops backing up with his diagonal pairs separated. He does not finish that last step so he's standing square. It's a test of is the horse in front of your leg as well as is the horse soft in your hand in response to the restraining aids as well as the driving aids. And it's done right smack on the short side. So there's uh, <laughs> no hiding. No hiding it. <laughs> <laughs> no hiding. <laughs> The other thing that steps up, now we have to be able to collect the horse to that school canter and start to turn the shoulder. And again, here the essence of the movement is, does the horse collect? If that horse really sits and takes weight on its hind quarters, it's very simple to just move those shoulders to the left or to the right. Two steps, that's all you need. It's not a, a working pirouette, it's just a quarter pirouette. And hold it and get out of there. Don't make a big deal out of it. Uh, we're not looking to see pre-St. George type pirouettes in, in that movement. That makes sense. Do you see that a lot? People trying to make it too big, too small versus sort of what the requirements are? We see it more in fourth level test three where we're actually getting into the working pirouette, which, by the way, has may be as large as three meters. Three meters is pretty darn big. I mean, your average person is a little over five foot tall. These working pirouettes can be in diameter as large as two people. Uh, and it's much better to do it large and correct than to try to do the tight pirouette and lose the rhythm, lose the stretch to the fit, lose the ability to sit. And you can get a 10 for a, pure, a working pirouette that is three meters wide. Whereas if you try to make it tight and short and show off what a wonderful pre-St. George horse you have, and he jumps together behind or makes a rhythm, another kind of rhythm fall, you'll be down in the fives. So that's one of the places where it doesn't really pay to show off too much mm -hmm. there. That yeah, makes you sense, have to though. show off and do it well if you're going to do that, right? And not, you, and not fail at trying to do, to do too much. Yeah, you will not be penalized for doing a real pirouette, but if you don't do it successfully, you won't, you'll get a lesser score than if you did a true working pirouette well. Mm -hmm. Can we talk a little bit about the, the half pass in fourth level? I think this is a level where the half passes start to get a little bit tighter and a little bit more difficult. We see the zigzag in fourth three. Can you talk to us a little bit about some mistakes that riders are, are making? with uh, with the half-pass ideas? Absolutely. Every horse has one direction they like to go better than the other. And with luck, your horse's difficult direction will be the second direction, but <laughs> it is what it is. You got to go sideways when they say to go sideways. Ideally, if you're doing the zigzag from center line, say, to B or C, you're going to get there a little bit before the letter. And as you near that letter, you're going to be subtly changing from the, the bend to the other bend. The most common mistake we see there is that people somehow have to struggle their way over there and then they throw the horse around and they start the second half pass with the haunches leading. If you think of it as a half pass, 
moving toward almost like a leg yield and making sure you have those shoulders going in the new direction. Then you can come back to the center line with your shoulders leading. Not only is it gymnastically correct, it scores a whole lot better. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, Donna, that fourth level test three, getting into that, I mean, I find a fourth three is a very, very difficult test. In some ways, more difficult than the pre-St. George because of the way it's sort of, it's it's the sequence of the movements. So can you talk a little bit about sort of what are going to be the requirements in that fourth level test three? Uh, well, first of all, it goes on forever. Yes. So you have to have a very, <laughs> it careful, a it very never ends. Yeah. It never ends, yes. Yeah, Even as you're judging, you think, oh, it's never going to end here. <laughs> uh, so have a fit horse. Have a horse that's comfortable with collection and with extension going forward and coming back without getting strong and laying on your hands. Because if you go for an extended anything, whether it's a trot or a canter, and that horse sails through the corner pulling onto the forehand, you're going to have a heck of a time with the next movement which comes up, which in fourth level, it comes up fast. You've got to come out of those corners balanced and ready to do a shoulder in or a half pass. There's no time for um, screwing around, basically. Uh, it is the highest test of our national levels, and I think it's an exceptionally good preparation for pre-St. George. A lot of people think it's so difficult that they just simply skip it and go straight into pre-St. George. Uh, I can't really argue with that. Uh, I've done it myself. Uh, if a horse can do three changes every three strides, they can probably do five changes every three strides, and you can tighten up the pirouettes a little bit. Uh, I don't, what else to say about fourth level test three? Well, let's, let's talk. To, there's there is an exceptionally difficult movement here in fourth level. Uh, another reason why people skip it. Let's let's talk a little bit about the half circle, half circle in canter, where you have to do a half a ten meter circle in counter canter. Personally, I don't think that's such a terribly difficult movement. Uh, for those of us who are older than dirt, uh, will remember that was in the old pre Saint George. Uh, yeah. It's a wonderful balancing exercise. It really shows whether that horse is collected and balanced. If you can do a 10-meter circle, you have one or two strides to look that judge in the eye, and then make your 10-meter counter-canter circle. You can think of it as each stride maybe a little bit leg-yielding sideways, sideways, but eventually that horse has got to be balanced enough to just do it. And then you have 12 meters to go straight ahead, move that shoulder over into the new direction, get the flying change another 12 meters before you have to do the next half circle. So, yeah, the horse has to be between your between your hand and your legs and balance. What are some, what are some common that. faults in that, in that movement? Maybe some tips that you can help some riders f- figure out how to ride that well. Uh, the first half of the circle tends to be okay, because at this point we're expecting that people can ride 10-meter half circles. Yeah. Take your time on that center line. Don't just think you have to dive into the new counter canter. That makes it difficult for the horse to maintain his balance. You don't want to be throwing him on his uh, his shoulder. So go straight a little bit and then just gradually, one little step at a time, bring that horse around in the counter canter. And this is something you practice at home until it's just simply easy. Uh, you're uh, your five-loop serpentine holding the lead will really uh, in- improve your ability to hold the counter lead. And then once you've achieved your 10-meter counter-canter circle, ride forward and start moving those shoulders over. 
before you get to B or E in preparation for the flying change. And the flying change goes straight ahead, collect, and then you start your 10-meter half circle. Here's your gimme. And now again, ride straight up the center line, two or three strides, and then turn. You'll still have plenty of time to make it so that the horse's shoulder hits the letter on the rail that you're aiming at. And then ride forward, move the shoulders over, and flying change at the letter before the end. Fantastic. No, and like you said, this is practice. This is this test. It's a lot of practice, is what it is. This is not. This is this is hard. And um, you know, you have to go in, like you said, with a fit horse and a horse ready to to really be able to do a pre St. George in theory. So, well, Donna, thank you so much for your time. How would our listeners find you online if they have any questions? Donna at foxrunfarm.com. Fantastic. Thanks, Donna. You're welcome. Well, Phil, I, I'm loving this segment, and we have gotten a ton of listener feedback on how they also are enjoying this judges segment. Um, and so we're, we're loving it as our total saddle fit tip of the week. And we also wanted to just talk a little bit about the six-point saddle pad. What You have one, Phil. How are you liking it? I, I got two. I don't know if you knew that, but I got two. <laughs> I think because, you got mine. Uh, I got to talk to Justin. Well, I talked to Justin already, and I said, well, I got, I got a normal horse with like a normal shape. And then I, and then I saw when I was, you know, doing, he told us about the saddle pads coming out, did a little research and he's got one specially designed for high wither horses. And so we were already using a half pad with this horse. But, uh, when Justin sent me the one that he designed for high wither horses, um, I was so excited because, um, you know, I've had to custom fit different pads, right? Like I had to actually cut them and, trim them out and, and make it fit for him for the one from total saddle fit worked awesome it was already sort of cut up the middle so that his wither could come through and and then the saddle pad sits the half pad sits on there and then uh then the saddle sits on top of it and uh it's great i mean it really works for the horse he just needs a little bit he has such a high wither and just sort of a high spine it's sort of you know kind of so i was always using a half pad for him already and uh uh, and when I switched to the, the total, total saddle fit one, it just it fits him like a glove. And uh, so I really like that aspect of it, that he thought about horses with different shapes and, and different things. And then the other one I got, I use it because I have a, a younger horse and he's growing in his muscles and his back. So um, I thought, well, if I can use this, this saddle pad and shim it up a little bit for him, then I don't have to get the, the, the saddle that I use for him refit every three months and so i've been sort of doing that and now we're basically down to this you know almost i i've i shim it just a little bit in the back because to lift the back of the saddle a little bit mm -hmm. but he's grown so much muscle and stuff that i've been able <laughs> to just you know kind of pop the shims out as he's as he's developed and awesome. and it keeps the saddle fitting great and the and the pad i i use it for shows i you know i i use it every day so I'm like, oh, how is this thing going to go through the wash? And, and am I going to be able to have a nice white pad for the show? And, and it was great. I mean, it, it comes with washing instructions, basically just hand wash with a little detergent. That's what I did. I set it out. And it takes a little while to dry because it's such thick wool sort of idea. Um, but awesome. Like all summer, you know, I got these pads in the, uh, what was it, early, early spring or late, late winter there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, washed great. They've been standing up to the wear and tear. And, and I've been just really super happy with these products. Just like the girths, they're yeah. well made. 
They look great. They work very functional. I've, I've been really happy with the saddle pads. Yeah. No, Justin does a great job. And you can always touch base with Justin at Total Saddle Fit. He's great to talk to and super helpful. So it's a great company, and we're really pleased that uh, they're they're part of our show. Well, Phil, we have some listener shout-outs and emails this week, yeah, huh? I, we were whining because love we weren't it. getting any, right? <laughs> no, we have lots now. We love it. Thank you. We will get everybody on. We love it. Yeah, so um, I, we got this uh, message, and it was actually from earlier in the month, and I remembered it today. It's from Celeste. She sent us a, uh, a message over Facebook, and basically she's seen a few dressage horses with bell boots on their hind feet. And she says, I know, guys, uh, a lot of horses wear them as overreach protection of safety for their heel bobs and, and their shoes uh, on the front feet. But, uh, you know, what is their purpose behind? And so. Yeah, it's hard them? to. Have you ever used them on the, on the high legs? You no, know, I used it on one horse. I had one horse that was really close behind and yeah. he would knock himself if he didn't have some sort of protection. I've had a couple that way and they've needed different types of boots behind one would, would cut himself quite low. So that was a really big thing. And so that's, we didn't use a bell boot. We used a different kind of boot, um, on him and it worked great. It was like just a little neoprene, but that's what I'm thinking they were doing. Um, you know, I've, yeah, yeah. I've, I've had a couple of horses, uh, with a, a little bit of an issue where they have um, a little bit smaller feet, mm-hmm. and then the 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 farrier decided that they would just uh, take the shoe out beyond the hoof a little bit to try and grow the mm-hmm. foot out. Um, but when you do that on the inside of any one of the feet, that you have the chance of the horse catching the inside of the shoe with their with their other leg, mm-hmm. uh, with their other foot. So uh, yeah, bell boots behind work. You know, just sort of protects that sort of situation from happening, you know, or a horse that working in, in, in handwork, a little PF or, or, um, uh, you know, uh, passage, PF, sorry, I couldn't think of the word passage, but <laughs> it's getting late for me here. Yeah, it is. Passage work in hand, whatever, where, where they will step very close and, and on the, on themselves, mm-hmm. you know, on the cornet band or whatever. So, mm-hmm. uh, where a polo or a no- normal boot won't reach. Uh, a bell boot can be a great solution to those problems. Yep. yep, they can. And, you know, I mean, I'm not one of those trainers that will instantly put bell boots on everything. You know, we have some horses that go in bell boots and some horses that don't. Yeah, some and that rub, rub the wrong way. Rub them. Yeah. We had a horse in Florida that uh, runs. It's my assistant's horse. And he's great. And he's a little bit older. And, he, and he's a tough guy. But he was, I mean, he just wasn't right. He was weird. And we, we couldn't figure it out. <laughs> Ashley took him out and uh, had him on the lunge line. And she, for some reason, I think one of the bell boots fell off or something. And she was like, all right, I'm just going to take it off. And he was sound. Done. Sound. So yeah. it, I will say, like, I have never seen that before. But now, if that happens, he the sand would just get up there and just rub enough that was irritating him. And uh, so that was something we had to watch. So you never know. So it's definitely yeah, something. Yeah, in, gen- in general, I you know I always protect the horse's legs, but not necessarily yeah. bell boots with horses, yeah. um, because they tend to fly off sometimes and, and stuff like that. Yeah, it can be a so. Pain. Yeah, I mean, I'm not huge on on that kind of thing, but uh, if the horse needs it, of course they get it, and yeah. and and I've um, used lots of different kinds of bell boots, and you know, because a lot of the the rubber kinds I don't like because they rub a little bit too much and stuff, but. Uh, yeah, it's just all different situations. So, 
uh, a bell boot can solve a problem yep. pretty easily. If you need it. Yep, if you yeah. need it. So I'm sure there's lots behind, of other reasons somebody would yes, would put bell boots would behind, have it. but those are a couple of mine that I've yep, encountered that in the of. past. Me too. Excellent. Well, we got a, another shout out, didn't we? One more for today. Yeah. yeah. Well, we got one from Vera. We uh, love Vera. Yeah, she's been a listener for a very long. I think since the beginning, she's been sending mm-hmm. us emails. Yep. And so I actually saw Vera at a show last weekend, and uh, this is a little bit what her her email was about. So she Vera says something quite important happened there in her horsey life. Her she I guess she has a newer horse. Uh, went to his first show, so I actually saw Vera. That's so and exciting! So, um, for safety educational reasons, he was ridden by the coach, not her. But it was very exciting. Uh, her horse, her, her horse's name is Rockstar. He just turned eight, and he needed some gradual introduction to the competition by her coach. Mm-hmm. And so, good she idea. Took him, uh, a couple of weeks ago, just for some schooling, and then this last weekend, he went, entered, went and entered the second level division. He did very well with some mistakes, but she's very happy with her horse. We're always happy with horses, aren't we? Love it. So, on the last day of competition, she was faced with a situation that we discussed. What happens when a show when when a coach's ride time conflicts with the students? And in this case, um, her coach had two very similar ride times: one for his own horse and one for Vera's horse. So it it didn't it it was I yeah, think it was, it was within conflict. twenty minutes, but it yeah she the, the coach was not going to be able to warm up Rockstar. But um, I had a student, my student's name is Andrea, and she was riding the same class, but later on in the class. And so Vera came up and said, you know, do you mind switching? And uh, we were supposed to do that. Love it. She says thank you to me. Aw, yay, Phil. uh, That's so nice. would have had to scratch scratch the horse and the the coach wouldn't wouldn't have been able to ride him on his last day. And uh, That's awesome. Yeah, so you're welcome, Phil, Vera. like, it, yeah, good job, Phil. Way to be, and Andrea. <laughs> it was me. It was awesome actually, too. I mean, it was actually Andrea. It was Andrea. <laughs> but Andrea's awesome. So, yay, sort of said, Andrea. Yeah. So, Phil, uh, in the U.S., the you can't have a ride within an hour, I think, or something like that. There is a rule: twenty minutes. They 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 really shouldn't do that. But you save well, the day. So. The, yeah, when when the entire show run. I mean, uh, yeah. her coach Jamie, he rides. He was oh, probably well. riding four horses that day. I mean it. There, yeah, I mean, you can't make a rule like that because otherwise they they wouldn't be able to schedule all the horses. So the horses, yeah, that's true. It's sort of like, well, I mean, if you agree, you know, like if you agree to the ride time, then you can just go ahead and do it. And if you don't, mm-hmm. then you can scratch the horse and you don't ride. Got it. Yeah. Well, anyway, good job, Phil. Yeah, we had, a, we had a good show, and Andrea uh, had a good show too. She was riding the second level class. I think she was reserve champion over. Oh yay! Shout out to Andrea. She's fantastic. Andrea, yeah. And that was that was uh, amateur and open. Sweet. Good job. Yeah, well, good job, guys. High five. We love it. We love it when people <laughs> work together. That's even better. Yeah. I, Every- yeah. Sometimes love you it. need favor at a show, and you know, never. Uh, you know, it always comes back. Yeah, exactly. And, and make friends, and yeah, you never yeah. know. Yeah. Very good. Good job, Bill. High five. <laughs> Well, everybody, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. 
I think the best way to find me is on Facebook or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week for allowing us to put on a great show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we will be back in two weeks. Enjoy the new Western Dressage show. We'll be tuning in as well. (laughs) 